Fortnite in Film is a podcast where every week you get the chance to listen in on a group of film lovers chatting about the great, or not so great, movies that we've been watching over the past fortnight. Hello and welcome to episode 33 of A Fortnight in Film. I'm your host, Jason. And I'm your co-host, Christian. Back after a, a while. Thanks for tuning in. As I mentioned in our uh, group chat, when we were picking these films, we've got three very highly rated films to discuss. One of them is sitting at a 4.2 average, snuck its way into the top 250 of Letterboxd. The other is a 4.0 average, the other is a 3.8 average. So certainly the film community holds them in high standing. We'll see if that's the same for us. Heads up. The films we're about to discuss may contain spoilers. For a list of the movies we cover this week, check out the description. We'll kick it off with my pick, which is Heat from 1995, uh, directed by Michael Mann, who's done a lot of other films. Uh, he did Thief um, in 1981. He did The Last of the Mohicans. Uh, he did Collateral. Tom Cruise, he's done a lot of different stuff. Collateral is supposed to be... So good. Yeah, I've seen it. I didn't like it whatsoever, but that's not surprising. <laughs> I, I remember watching it like when it first came out and I was I was pretty young and I remember thinking it was good, but I hear so many things about collateral now, um, in like the film community, which I was not a member of when I saw it and I, I consider myself to be a member of now. And and apparently it's really, really outstanding. I I, I really need to revisit that one actually. I might watch it. Yeah, I'm sure you'd enjoy it. I didn't, but um everyone else seems to. So uh, story, story of my film life. Yeah, it um, is. <laughs> so, uh, it stars uh, Al Pacino and Robert De Niro in a fantastic pairing, as per usual. And I feel like any, I feel like any time those two get together, it's just magic, and it helps if they're such good friends in real life as well. So De Niro plays a uh, professional thief called Neil McCauley. Um, the film is set in LA, and he has a crew, and they, you know, go around. Um, you know, doing different, you know, big, big jobs. They, you know, they're not, um, you know, robbing corner stores and, and stuff like that. They're, you know, going after big, big scores of money. And no, it's like, it's like really flashy strong arm robberies and stuff. Yeah. Their latest job, they rob $1.6 million of bearer bonds from an armored car. But uh, one of the people in the crew who's sort of been hired in, he's not a part of a normal crew, uh, ends up killing guards for no reason which turns into a bigger thing right originally which is supposed to be robbery now it's like we're looking at three dead bodies de niro tries to kill this guy called wayne grow uh, but he gets away at the same time uh, pacino's character uh, who's a, a lapd lieutenant called vincent Hanna, they sort of start looking into the robbery and they they figure out macaulay and his crew are behind it macaulay tries to sell back for bearer bonds to the person he stole it from. That guy tries to kill him instead. You know, the film basically follows Macaulay and Hannah sort of, you know, facing off against each other and Hannah's trying to catch Macaulay and Macaulay's sort of one step ahead of him and they actually end up meeting uh, at one point in a quite famous scene, they meet in a coffee shop, and which I thought was, which we can get into, but I thought it was just... I was thinking, I was watching, it and I was thinking, I can't remember a film that's done this where you have like the criminal and the police officer, 
sitting down opposite one another, just having a casual conversation, like, you know. Right. And, and with with awareness of what's going on, too. Like, there's no, yeah, they, they, they yeah. Macaulay sets up, he says, he says, I'm going to do one last robbery, that's it. And he's going to rob a bank for like $12 million. What happens is, you know, they, they robbed a bank, uh, but they get caught because of, you know, like the, the guy who he tried to sell his bonds back to, he like tipped him, you know, a person of his crew tipped the LAPD off and, and there's a massive firefight um, in the middle of LA. Various people from both sides die. What ends up happening is Macaulay sort of, you know, goes and eliminates all these these loose ends. He goes and kills uh, Van Zandt, who was the guy who tried to kill him originally. He goes and kills Wayne Grow, who obviously was the was the person who uh, killed the guards. Uh, Hannah finds him and and ends up with uh, Hannah killing Macaulay, uh, and it film ends. I gave it four stars. Surprises me. Great film. Were you expecting higher? I. It, it just seems like such a Jason film. To me. Yeah, no. It, it, it I was. Thought, <laughs> I thought this would be like an easy five stars for you. It was. It was. It was a very good film. Don't get me wrong. It was very enjoyable and certainly in the crime. I'm not disappointed. I'm not. I don't have like <laughs> one of. The, I, I think it's a five star film, but I'm not. I don't have like an emotional attachment to it. Like I'm not devastated that you didn't think it was as highly rated as I did or anything. I'm just. Uh, it's just curious because I, I don't know, based on some of your previous recommendations that you fawn over, you know, some stuff like uh, like Ransom. I remember you talking about how much you love that movie, and it, you know, this is I think much better than Ransom. But I agree, yeah, yeah. But but it's uh, it seems like your kind of thing, you know. Yeah, well, and, and in fairness, I guess I only gave Ransom four stars as well. I do think this is a better film than Ransom. Yeah, so I mean, look, I gave four stars, great film. Um, what did you think? I I thought it was a. A borderline perfect film, actually. I, you know, I, it's just one of those things that I, you know, I had seen this movie ten years before, or something like that, and uh, when I was less of kind of a dedicated film nerd, and I remember liking it a lot. But I'm watching it now. You know, I finished it a couple nights ago, and it is long, but I, I never felt the length. First of all, because it, it's just the way it's paced. You know, and, and it's got this great screenplay that that, that Michael Mann works around so well. And it's paced so well that you you don't feel like you're sitting there for that long. It's it's engaging all the time, even when it's slow or when it's just characters talking or when it's character development. There's always this just kind of perfect blend of interesting and engaging. And you, you can never really quite take your eyes off it. There's never a good place to pause. You know what I mean? You kind of need you feel like you need to and you want to sit through the entire thing. And that's really impressive for a film with this kind of runtime. Um, it has a little bit of everything and before and after there, there have been so many of these crime drama films, which often very often seem feel kind of the same to me. And they all seem to be trying to do what this movie really pulled off. And it's almost like, it's almost a a success. You can't put your thumb on. It's kind of just like it got everything right in all the aspects. You know, it's got great leads. Pacino and De Niro are amazing here, you know, before Pacino disappeared and 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 De Niro started making like bullshit movies, you know. <laughs> it just has the perfect amount of everything. The score is really good. The action, you know, is restrained for a while and then it explodes like a grenade. Uh in in that that street fighting scene, which was amazing. I mean, it was grandiose. It was huge. It was uh very well choreographed. It had you know, and it was fun too. Like it it had 
so little reloading. It was like a John Woo film. You know, it, it really was just just fantastic. That that scene, the coffee house scene, was iconic. And there's just a lot of iconic stuff. You know, th- this this was iconic. Where's the fucking van? You know, running down the street. It it's a re- <laughs> it's a really just it's fun. It's interesting. That you know, that coffee house scene, like I said, absolutely iconic. It it reminded me of like I mean, just they set up these two titans on opposite ends of the spectrum, and then they have them sit down for a cup of coffee, uh, and, and it, it it's just this great conversation of self awareness, and it, it made me you know reminded me of um, this famous historical conversation that allegedly happened between uh, Hannibal Barca and Scipio Africanus after the Punic Wars, like well after the Punic Wars, like they're both old. And uh, they're, you know, they both go to this uh, third party, this king, and they, they end up at, at his court at the same time. And these are like old enemies. I mean, like two of the great titans of antiquity. And they end up sitting around a dinner table. And it's just supposed to be this fascinating conversation. And, and it, it's, it kind of reminded me of that. It really did. It's a great movie. Just just every little thing worked perfectly. Everything was fine-tuned, you know, by like an expert technician. It's it's hard to describe it other than that. You know, there's there's not really a lot of flowery language I could find in this film other than it's just it's just for its genre, for what it tried to do. Uh, I think it's a masterpiece. It's kind of like the last word in crime thrillers. Um, there's a lot of really good ones out there. Um, the Departed is another really good one that I love. Anything Scorsese, he's like you know, like, I mean him and him and Michael Mann are like the king of crime, you know, <laughs> kings of crime. Yeah, it, it, this this just feels like the apex of crime thrillers. I don't know. It, it feels like uh, it's it's. I think I wrote in my review. It's it's going to be a classic forever, basically. And it is, you know, like I said, it's it's in the letterbox top two fifty. You know, it's it's up there. And it earns its status, and it doesn't suffer from annoying fan syndrome. You know what I mean? Like th- that's something that really gets under my skin, and I feel like shouldn't, but it's just how, how do you help it if you're prone to being annoyed by stuff like that? But you know, The Godfather or Scarface are kind of similar movies, but the fans are obnoxious. <laughs> you know, it's it's a those are very film bro movies, and they're technically outstanding. They earned where they are in, in the Mount Olympus of, of filmographies or, or whatever, whatever you want to call it. But um, there's there's just something special about this movie that I, I feel like it, it manages to not annoy me uh, with the people who like it. And it, it's just a solid fucking movie for what it is. It's out. It's really, really incredible. Um, so I'd agree with a lot of what you said. There's some that I would disagree with, but um, a lot of it I would agree with. Pacino and De Niro were, were fantastic, you know, as I said. I, I, I'd say once you get into, like, 2010s, you know, they you know they probably weren't as good as they once were. I'm sure you could even pick some films out of the 2000s, but I'm I'm sure if I looked at stuff in the 2000s, I could probably pick a good Pacino or De Niro film. But here, you know, mid-90s, they're still doing great movies. They're still, you know, working their asses off. So I can't fault either of them. You know, I thought... I haven't seen Val Kilmer in a lot of things, but I thought he was good in this as a supporting character yeah he rarely blows me away but i i always kind of enjoy him when i see him yeah he's just like you know it's a lot of performance can't really fault it yeah i don't think he's like one of the best actors ever and he's not the most outstanding actor here either by a mile but i i just maybe he's just kind of inoffensive to me but i i don't know i just kind of enjoy him uh he's 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 harmless you know (laughs) he shows up and he does his job and he he does a good job and, and occasionally he entertains me with his exploits I can find on like the IMDb trivia section of films. Yeah, I was just kind of just gently enjoy his presence. 
I mean, like you said, the score was great, the script was great, just the tension throughout of this whole, like, cat and mouse game, and is he going to catch him? What's going to happen? I thought that was just, the whole way throughout was just fantastic. And, and you kind of don't really know who's going to win. It kind of sets them both up as equally impressive, equally professional, um, and, and both flawed, too. Both very flawed. Um, but, but you they, you know, they focus on this focus of that they both have, that they're they both have almost this sort of similar character flaw, which is also their greatest strength. Where they're they they're a dog chasing a car. I think they actually said that in the movie at one point. You know, they they just they, they go after it, and it's like they're that's what gets their blood pumping in their heart. You know. Well, yeah, I read um, a lot of analysis on this film, and a lot of what people said was that similar thing of it. You know, they're two sort of diametrically opposed people, but they're. they're pretty much the same person in some sense but they're like perfectly opposed right. because they're so similar exactly yeah. um and you know a lot of the film is about you know loneliness and sadness and obviously they're both experiencing that because they're both you know even though they're both i would say professionally fulfilled and good at what they do um you know they're both incredibly isolated and lonely and just sort of going through life you you also see that in the, in that coffee house scene i think it's like that's why it's so powerful there it's almost like the most honest and sincere and open that either of those characters are because they know what the other person is and they they in their way do very much respect the other person i i feel like maybe i'd have to watch it again but i feel like if you go back to all the other interactions that pacino and de niro have throughout the rest of the movie they both are have some kind of like reserved distance between themselves and all the other characters but but they're in that coffee house it's just perfectly on the same wavelength and honest with each other and it's like the only time either of those characters are really able to open up it was with their their counterpart you know and it's oh, such a great scene it's really an outstanding screenplay that was was extremely well implemented like they just they were handed this perfect gift of a screenplay and then didn't fuck it up you know good good job Michael. yeah it, it reminded me sort of of another film we've you and I have uh, talked about on the podcast, which is uh, Pulp Fiction, uh, in the sense of you have all these different characters, and they all sort of link up at the end, right? You have um, Macaulay, and then Van Zandt gets involved, and then Wayne goes there, and Hannah's chasing him, and it obviously all comes together, and they all sort of get their resolution as such. One of them meanders a little bit more, <laughs> and I'm not talking about length; I'm talking about. Uh, uh the way it's shown, you know, like in order. Yeah. And, and, and I personally think this is a better film than Pulp Fiction. I'm sure that would outrage some people on Letterboxd. I don't know if the film bros are come after you. That's, I don't know how contentious that is. Now I think about it. I haven't both at four stars. So they're both quite movies in my mind, but, but this is a better film. I, I actually, I, I want to compare the, I want to compare the averages now. So it's 4.2 average for heat, right? Pulp Fiction has 4.3. So yeah, film bros are going to come after you. <laughs> Look, in terms of why I couldn't, in my mind, give it the full five stars, I personally do think it was too long. So it was 170 minutes, which is just under three hours. I wasn't bored at any point, so it wasn't anything like that. But it was more just, I felt like he could have cut 30 minutes out or even an hour. And it's still, like, they could have got rid of, in in my mind, what was... um. Uh, superfluous. How do you how do you say that word? Superfluous. Super. Is that how you say it? That's how it's, that's how we pronounce it over here, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Superfluous. I'll just say that. You know, they could have they had so much stuff in there that I was like, oh, I just need to be in here, and they could have been cut like sixty minutes out of it, and it still would have been 
fantastic film. Because I think what you're referring to is a lot of the like relationships of the characters, which is actually my next point. Yeah. Well, I if you're gonna go if you're gonna go after that aspect, I would counter, I guess preemptively counter really that um, I feel I feel like that was that was all reincorporation and kind of reinforcement of this this whole thing about De Niro's character, like this, this mantra of his that you need to be prepared to walk away from absolutely anything in your life in 30 seconds or less. And, and you need to show, you know, like for example, um, the, the one guy, Jesus Christ, the, the guy we were just talking Val about. Val Kilmer's character. Chris, yeah, Val, Val Kilmer's Chris, character yeah. does walk away right. and he lives. Um, but Danny Trejo's character does not walk away and he dies. And it's, it's, I guess it's kind of reinforcing the the cold, you know, calculated wisdom of that sort of mantra. And, and it really kind of reinforces that central character in that way. Um, all that stuff, you know, really serves to strengthen his character and his presence in the film. And, and so I don't, I don't know, maybe you could have shaved it a little bit, but but overall I felt those scenes were actually necessary if you if you think about it. But but what what would be your counter then to that? Well, yeah, so that was, so you read my mind. So, yes, I I felt like the whole romantic subplot, to which there were two. There was obviously Macaulay and this, this woman he met called Edie. And then there was obviously Hannah's relationship with his wife and stepdaughter. You know, you, you can look at it two ways. The interest in the film was was twofold. It was, first of all, the characters, and then second of all, the plot. And while I agree with your point that the whole reason... The character of Edie more than, say, Hannah's family was put in there for this thing of if you can't walk away from it in 30 seconds, like, you know, you're not cut out for it. I agree that was in there for that reason. But it's sort of like I believed De Niro when he said that and I believed he would do that. And it's like I didn't need the character of Edie to represent that, if that makes sense. Like, I believed he was the sort of guy who he would walk away like that. And so... For me, the whole subplot of that and the subplot of Hannah's, you know, family, you know, the wife and the stepdaughter, and then the stepdaughter tries to kill herself. And don't, you know, I'm like this to me. I was like, I'm not interested in your your estranged wife and and stepdaughter. I'm not interested in this woman you met at a bookstore or whatever. I'm interested in is Hannah gonna catch Macaulay? Who's gonna win in this tug of war? What's gonna happen to these characters? You know, that to me, that to me was what I was interested in. And so I looked at the whole things that were happening and i'm like I, it's irrelevant to me it's it doesn't it doesn't serve to propel the story forward it only serves in the case of Edie, like you said to to illustrate this mantra he has and in the case of hannah's family i'm like what does it matter if you're a strange i mean again the only sort of illustration to me you can give is oh he's so like you said driven and and this is all he can focus on he's so attached to his work but it's like both of those things you know, De Niro's mantra and and uh, uh, Petrina's drive as such. I'm like, but I, I believed that already. Like, so I, I didn't need it illustrated with these whole romantic family subplot things. I, I felt like that was all valuable context to to make me more invested in that very character. You know what I mean? Because that, that's part of his, that that's part of his like, the core of his character is that he is willing to walk away at any time. And you can see again, you know, the, the red light, green light 
of that same problem with the other characters and the way they were built up. And you can see that it is cold, but it works. You know, Val Kilmer's character gets away. I, I, I agree. And I, I guess for me, it was just, I believed in those characters already. You know, so I guess I, I, I didn't need that reinforcement. Yeah, I, I feel like the, the film would have still worked if they had made cuts to those things. And maybe they could have even done like a, an extended edition release, like versus a theatrical release or something. I, I feel like it would still be a, a very, very good film. And, you know, my rating probably wouldn't drop that much, but I don't know. It, it didn't bother me uh, at all. And, and I really actually appreciated the context. Um, I mean, you know, that being said, I could only appreciate that for so long. Like they could have, if they, if, if it was over three hours for the same reason and they just filled it in with more and more, I, I probably would be more on your side on that one. So there's, there's limits, but I, I don't know. I, f- I felt like it struck a street, a sweeping spot. Uh, I mean, I have a couple of quick points I would make before we move on to our next film is, so that famous firefight, you know, scene, uh, 10 minutes long, I think it is in the shooting up Los Angeles. Oh, so good. It's so over the top, but it, it's so fucking technically, just it i love watching it i love watching it like i just simple as a viewer you know just pure simplicity simplicity of like it's a great action scene and i really enjoy being there with that kind of energy and, and just how technically impressive it was, it was yeah very, very good. My, my my rational mind just couldn't switch off during that and i'm like well and you're gonna have a lot of problem with a lot of films like <laughs> it, it, it was it was yeah. it was entertaining but I was like, it's so over the top. It was 1995. Those were different times in filmmaking. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it reminds me of uh, Christian Bale's character. You know, like, you remember, have you seen American Psycho? No, I, I've, I need to see it. I've, I've read the book. I love the book, but I haven't seen it. Oh, the... God. There, there, <laughs> there's this scene where he's he's kind of having this, like, delusional psychotic break. And, and he's, so he's having a lot of delusions. And in this one delusion... You know, these cops, uh, you know, they they are across the street and they're like, you know, they're they're out, you know, with the doors covering them and they're pointing their guns at him and they're yelling at him to get down. And he takes out a pistol from his overcoat and shoots them. And then the cars explode. And he he just kind of like looks at his gun like, huh? <laughs> and <laughs> it reminded me of that I, I just thought it was funny. Like it was it was so self-aware and how ridiculous some of those action scenes can get, you know, but um, oh. You really need to see that movie. It's no, uh, I, I know I really want to. The film broiest movie ever, maybe, and uh, I, I might be a little worried or concerned about someone who says that's their favorite movie of all time, but it, it is still damn good. And and the book is was fantastic. I bought the book. I, I've been meaning to get around to it, but I'm trying to finish the uh, the Expanse book uh, yeah. series. Oh like yeah, nine, you, you nine need books. to read the book. The book is is someone who's read the book and not seen the film. It's fantastic. Yeah, that'll be. Uh, I'll be getting that in the next. I'll be getting to that in the next few months somewhere. And this one tired cliche I want to point out is, you know, that scene where he finds Treo dead, but he finds him just in time, long enough to say it was Wayne Grow. I was like, oh, geez, like, you, you, you have such a good film, Michael Mann. Why do you have to put these tired cliches in? Like, come on. Okay, it's totally a trope. Absolutely. Screenwriting trope uh, um, for days. Uh, and I, you got no disagreement for me. That being said, with that in mind, I still thought it was a good scene. Um, because Danny Trejo was so good, he, he looked he looked good when he was dying in that scene. If that sounds fucked up, I know, but but he, you know, the way he had that sort of, uh, and I, I've actually seen this at work. Where you know, I've I've had uh, patients who are on on hospice. I'm not a hospice nurse, but at the hospital, I would occasionally get hospice patients, um, and they 
they will sometimes do that where they kind of stare vacantly into space and just like whisper things for a while. And it, so it actually was, I thought, decently realistic. But I mean, it's still a trope that it was there was that setup at all. I completely agree. But but it was one of the better, I thought, uh, renditions, I guess you could say, of that trope that I can think of. And 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 when fucking like a movie like The Untouchables does it, no one bats an eye. By the way, uh, that is not a good movie. I know I go against the grain on that one, but mm-mm, movie sucks. Gave Untouchables two stars. Fuck that movie. That's lovely for you. <laughs> way overrated. Way, way overrated. Shall we move on to your pick? Yeah, Tangerine. This is a wild ride of a movie. I really, I don't know what I expected in terms of whether or not you liked it. I'm, I, who, I, I haven't looked at your your like letterbox diary or anything, so I, I really have no idea. And it, I, I can't even predict what you're going to say about it. Maybe you liked it. I don't know. I didn't think you were going to like Perfect Blue as much. As I'm you. the wild card. Um, so you know, I might be wrong, but I, I feel like maybe you're kind of the wild card. Yeah. So, yeah, it, um, it, it's a movie from 2015. It was directed by Sean Baker, who is uh, apparently a pretty scrappy, resourceful guy. If you if you read the, if you read into this movie a whole lot, like the behind the scenes. Yeah, I read quite a bit about the production of it. And it, it's a fascinating production, isn't it? I mean, you got to give me that. Yeah. It's uh, so 2015, directed by Sean Baker. Uh, it basically takes place in uh, L.A. Uh, on Christmas Eve. So, of course, everything looks like, you know, it's not it, it doesn't look like it's cold. And it's not cold, but um, Christmas Eve. And it follows a couple of uh, transsexual prostitutes, basically, um, you know, streetwalkers or whatever you want to call them. I don't want to be disrespectful or anything. Uh, but basically one of them, her name was Cindy. Um, she gets back sort of on the town because she was in prison for, I think, like a month or a little under a month. And so she's, you know, she's back uh, at work in her quotes. And she, you know, she meets up with like her best friend, Alexandra. And they go on this sort of odyssey across downtown L.A. because she has found out that the their, her pimp, who was also supposedly her fiance, um, has been cheating on her when she was in prison. And so she just tears up the city looking for him, basically. And it just turns into this extremely dysfunctional sort of like odyssey, getting from point A to point B, sort of an adventure. You see a lot of grimy sort of soft underbelly stuff, you know, and it's it's just an extremely entertaining movie. Um, as I understand, I, I think it, the the person who played Alexandra, I think, has been has gone on to become an actress and like has been in other stuff. I think since then, I'm not sure about the, the woman who played Cindy, but um, they, I believe, were actually actually prostitutes and they were living together and they were actually best friends. Uh, if, and correct me if I'm wrong. I, you know, I looked this up like a week or two ago and uh, they were recruited for this movie and just ended up being these great leads. And they brought a lot of really, I, it was really great performances, just, just very passionate and sort of organic um, the way they came to life on the screen. It's a very energetic film. There's some really interesting editing uh, and choices and, and interesting camera work. Um, some of the camera work almost reminded me of, of like uh, crank, you know, like it's, it's just that sort of energetic and all over the place and like weird angles and, and um, but it also feels very voyeuristic at a lot of times. Like you'll see, you know, Cindy at some points just kind of sitting on a bench and smoking and you'll see kind of like emotions running through her face and stuff. 
Um, but you know, you again, you got like a weird angle, you got like a weird saturation thing going on with the camera. And what I thought was really interesting is that, um, as sort of an experiment, but also because of cost, the movie was filmed using three, I think, iPhone fives, um, which is really impressive for me. And even like after you read stuff about the film and like after production, you know, he had to sell one of the phones to pay his rent. Like, <laughs> I think he kept one of them for like actual personal use. And then I think the other one got donated to like a film museum. Um, but it's just really interesting what he was able to do with like a literal shoestring budget. I mean, he, that donut shop was an actual donut shop and they just filmed in it with permission while customers were actually going in and ordering food. Like it, it's just, if it's like, I mean, it's like a grad school film project, but it, it got released as like this really interesting, unique film um, with a very simple story, but it manages to, explore these characters in really a very deep sort of sincere way if that if that makes sense uh, it manages to do a so so much with so little um, and it's just a scrappy sort of like beleaguered production that you read about and and you end up with this really great genuinely entertaining film that that feels more expensive than it was i thought everyone's performances were great i thought the music was great you know i I think I recall that it used all licensed music, but it was, it was really, that's something that annoys me usually, but it was really appropriately used and, um, and really like helped the energy of the film without being distracting. I don't know. I, I was really impressed with it. I, I don't remember what my rating was. I gave it a, I gave it a four star and uh, I, I still agree with myself now. Um, just a really scrappy, interesting, fun film. It's, you know, it's, it's very short too. So it's not like a long film. Um, it's just a blast. It's just a fucking blast of a movie. You can watch it by yourself, watch it with friends. You can have fun either way. What, do you, what about you? What do you think? I hated this film. Ah, oh, fucking, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's hear it. I gave it half a star. And half a star, Jesus. I would give it zero if Letterbox gave me the option. Why? I have, I, there's not... Is it really that offensive? It is not one Why? redeeming feature I can find in this film. Jeez. Um, right. uh, I mean, look, I've I've collected a. Um... My wife is gonna be really upset about that one. She loves this movie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've uh, I went and found some reviews on Letterbox that uh, talked about. Well, that also gave it half a star that I liked because I agreed with what they were saying. Um, so I might read some of them a bit later. I don't know what can I say about this movie. So look. I said, I can't find one thing to like about it. The, the, as you said, it was shot on iPhones and then it was edited on like different apps and things. I think it's impressive. I don't know. I mean, to me, like it was like, you could tell it was shot on an iPhone. Like it didn't look, sure. <laughs> it didn't look good at all. And, and it's funny you mentioned But still, that. I mean, if, if you can at least get, I mean, if I gave you an iPhone five, you're not going to shoot a movie this good or me, you know, I mean, we can agree on that, right? Like that there was a style and, and a deliberate, this uh a deliberation to this that was really impressive there was there was definitely talent behind the camera mm. <laughs> go go i'll buy you an iphone i i want you to make a better movie i have an iphone i have an it, iphone go, with a fantastic camera you uh, iphone 13 <laughs> you have one month to make a better movie and i think that's less time than this guy had <laughs> go on knock yourself out <laughs> sorry I, I don't want to be unfair go ahead finish your thoughts and it's funny you mentioned about um, 
it was like a grad student film or something because i felt like when i was watching it i don't think it actually no, no, was no, i think no, it was i know really yeah. low budget. but i mean when i was watching it i thought it seems like some low-grade student film except there's probably people i mean when was this came out 2015 there's probably you know film school people in 2015 shooting student films that are you know miles better than this um oh find one find one for <laughs> oh, me i'll search for one. <laughs> I wanna find one you know like just because you can shoot on an iphone doesn't mean you should like okay you you, you can shoot you can shoot a whole movie on an iphone fantastic it's it's an interesting stylistic choice uh, i i think i think by necessity it was by necessity but it was also the, the necessity of the situation um inspired him to just go all out full steam with that decision and turn it into a stylistic choice and then and then it became a stylistic choice i really believe that and uh there's a lot of like movies that hold up really well today that have really like outdated animation right that that are still held up as as amazing stylistic you know movies there were a lot of stylistic decisions behind them even though it's kind of like outmoded animation for example amazing planet is um from i think it's from the 70s the animation is very, very dated, but it's a fucking wild movie. You know, it's I, I don't think that we can count that against him. Um, I mean, the iPhone five is a I, I would imagine has a better camera than some really, really vintage films had cameras for. You know what I mean? I mean, if because to me, that was just distracting. And and I saw a lot of people agreed would agree with that. And because the whole time I was thinking the quality is shit. I am watching this. I can tell it's filmed on an iPhone. And I'm like, at least if it had been filmed on actually a camera, you know, edited properly, you know, not this micro budget thing, maybe I could have thought it better. But for me, it was so, I mean, there were so many things that took away from it. But for me, I was watching it and I'm like, I can tell this is filmed on iPhone and it sucks because of it. I think that we just have a different difference of opinion on that one. I, I thought it was a really creative stylistic choice and it was really well implemented for the kind of resources that he had available. And, and, um, I, I just didn't find it distracting. I, th- I thought it was actually impressive. To me, not that I would have, I think, enjoyed the film that much more, but I it, I would have, it, it would have, in my opinion, been better had he waited to make this film until he had actual film equipment, actual actors and actresses. That's my next point is... Well, sometimes you don't get that if you wait. Sometimes you get it by, by finding success with little projects like this. In fact, I think that's all a lot of directors got off their feet. True. You can't fault them for that. I mean, you know, if if you think you can make something with what you have and you shoot your shot and then you get famous for it and then you get more funding for later projects as he did uh, that I call that a success in every every every, you know, uh, meaning of the word. OK, true. Maybe I take that point back. But, uh, you know, like the, the, nobody in the film was was a professional actor or actress. They were just random people. Right. And I and, and I agree. I But I think that they did really well considering that i again i mean we're gonna disagree in every aspect of it i don't i i thought the acting was atrocious and i thought you could tell that nobody was you know like a trained i i think cindy was the weakest link on there but i still thought she was really good i I did feel like in her delivery she it seemed like she was very aware of the camera never like super overt but but it, it is something that i noticed a few times and i guess if i had to find something to say negatively about the act and maybe Alexander a little bit, a little bit too, but if that's the worst thing for people who are not actors and, and I don't even believe had taken acting classes as far as I know, I mean, that's, that's pretty goddamn impressive. I couldn't do that. 
Um, I'm not going to just get in front of a camera after being discovered and act like that. Some, some people apparently were like the guy who played Jesse Pinkman in Breaking Bad, I think had never taken an editing class in his life and was just discovered. And then he, he gives some most emotive performances I can think of. Um, so, you know, that, that happens and I'm not saying that they're on the same level, but I, I feel like for someone who like walked in and just met these two people and said, Hey, do you want to be in my movie? And then they, they were, did this good a job. Again, I thought it was really impressive. I didn't find it distracting at all. I thought they were great. It was dialogued and script. I thought it was awful. The music was just so obnoxious throughout. It was just like loud in your face. And I was like, can we turn the volume down a bit? Like it doesn't need to be that obnoxious all the time. Oh, I thought it was awesome. I, I thought it gave like a really kinetic energy to the whole experience. It, it wouldn't work in a lot of movies, but here I feel like it worked. I just, I don't get, because this is a very highly acclaimed film. I wonder if, I wonder if George, I wonder if George watched it. What did he think? I, well, I don't think he would have, but I, he would probably like it. He'd probably agree with you, I'm sure. <laughs> um, I'm going to, I'm going to ask him after the podcast <laughs> if he watched it. Because he might agree with you. I don't know. I mean, this isn't exactly his kind of movie. I, I, I mean, it has color, so it's not his kind of movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Love you, George. I, I mean, yeah, how this film is 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 said it's so highly acclaimed, like it's sitting at three point eight on the box, it's sitting at like ninety six percent positive on Rotten Tomatoes, eighty six out of hundred on Metacritic, it won all these awards, and and I'm I just, you know, as, as as some of the people whose reviews I liked on Letterbox said, like they don't get how it got all this acclaim, and I don't get how it got all this acclaim, um, but uh, I I will make one final point, which is something I I just thought of when you were talking which was when you said this was like an odyssey across the lane you're tearing the city up whatever else in that sense and i just thought of this then it reminds me of falling down right because that's one guy an odyssey across la he's he's tearing the city up you know trying to so it's you know very different movies but i see where you're going totally i see where you're going with that yeah, that was just the comparison that I drew in my head when I thought, oh, yes, that was also like this odyssey across L.A. In in some ways, I guess it's a natural comparison, but I, at the end of the day, I, I don't think they belong on the same boat. No, I, I mean, yeah, plot and characters obviously are two very different, you know, <laughs> but... um. Okay, well... Yeah, so... You know, I, never, I mean, there's a lot of people that agree with you out there, and I see where you're coming from. Well, I'd, well, I'd say 99% more people <laughs> that agree with you, but... <laughs> That's good. I, I I like to be in the uh, in the minority. So <laughs> you're a, a com- comfortable contrarian. Yes, that's yeah. a good description. <laughs> you're comfortable without being smug. You're just you're just a natural contrarian. <laughs> you're always prepared to talk about your points. It, it's fine. Um, this is fine. <laughs> Again, I'm not. I'm not. It's another movie. Like I think is excellent, but I'm not super yeah, yeah. emotionally attached to it. Like it doesn't bother me if you don't like yeah. it. I just. Well, let's try and find some more positive ground on our last pick, uh, yeah. which is which is George's. Um, so this is Blowout from 1981, uh, directed by Brian De Palma, mm-hmm. uh, who has did the Untouchables. Yeah, fucking Untouchables. Stupid overrated movie. And he's done lots of other films, you know, Carrie, Scarface, Carlito's Way, um the first mission impossible which i need to revisit i need to watch all those movies yeah so do i uh the film is about uh as a, a sound technician who, who works on films funnily enough in a very meta uh reference um 
called Jack Terry, who is played by John Travolta. And he works on all these, you know, low-budget slashers, and, and he's told that he has to uh, find a more realistic scream uh, to include in this film, and, and he has to have better wind effects uh, for the sound of the wind. So he goes out to a park, brings his little recording thing with him, and while there, he witnesses a car crash of his car, careens off the road and into the creek. Uh, well, not even, well, I think a creek is, I know they called it that in the film, but it's it was really quite deep water, so um, I don't know what, what you call it, a lake or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good eight feet, I think. Yeah. Like, I think they said at one point it was a good, it was a good eight feet down. So the car sinks. Um, he doesn't manage to get the guy in the car out, but he manages to save uh, this young woman called Sally. Uh, and he takes her to the hospital. And at the hospital, um, a guy comes along and says, oh, the guy who was killed in the car crash was this governor who was um, going to run for president and was immensely popular. And uh, you need to forget that this, this woman was in the car with him because he has a family and, you know, like presumably, you know, it was, you know, it was intimated that they were, you know, having an affair or that she was, you know, prostitute or whatever. So he's like, you need to forget that this, you know, this this woman existed. He goes and listens to the audio he recorded, uh, and he hears a gunshot just before the tires blow out, which is where the the um, film gets its name from, and it crashes into the water. Um, so then he starts to think, oh well, what was that gunshot? You know, you know, he takes the pictures and he he syncs up like the audio with them, and he sees a, a flash from a gun, um, and you know, he's trying to convince people throughout the film you know he goes to um you know police and he, he gets talking to a news person at one point and he tries to get sally to come on board and say look you know this wasn't a, a random crash this was like an assassination uh, nobody sort of believes him they all think he's a, a mad conspiracy theorist and it turns out that it was actually an unsanctioned assassination i would say because uh the rival the, the rival of the, the governor uh, all he wanted was, um, so Sally and this guy she works for are like, they work in like blackmailing people or, you know, but being, I guess, blackmail for hire sort of thing. So she would go with, you know, certain politicians, you know, like, like a rival politician would hire them. She would go with a politician and her business partner or whatever would be there to photograph it and make it look like something untoward was going on. That was sort of their business. That's all it was supposed to happen. But this guy who the rival politician of uh, the governor hired um, decided to take matters into his own hands. I have a lot to say about John Lithgow's character. Brace yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, you know, shot, shot the tires out and ended up killing him. That guy called Burke, he also goes to try and kill Sally, but he ends up killing someone who looks like her eventually he you know he he manages to to get her to come to him and bring the film of the of the assassination jack has wired her up um so he can you know hear what's what's happening and the film sort of culminates with uh burke takes sally uh and ends up killing her just before Burke gets there because he, he's found out where they were due to, you know, you can hear what's happening and he sort of pinpoints where they are. Um, he gets there, he's too late to save her, she ends up dying, but he does kill Burke. Um, and the scream of of Sally 
uh, ends up being used in the film uh, that they're making the slasher film. It ends up being the perfect scream. The perfect scream. It's a good scream. It's a good scream. Yeah. It was a good scream. Um, sad is sad is not the right word, but like a tragic, ironic twist of fate. It it's a little weird that he used it in the film. It it's really cinematically like dramatic, but at the end of the day, I was like, hmm. I feel like no one would do that. <laughs> like nobody would actually do that. I feel like that's fucking weird. But it's a great scene. No, yeah, it's just absurd. <laughs> so I thought it was a great film. Um, gave it four stars. Another four stars for me. Yeah, I think I gave this one four stars too. Yes. So what did you enjoy about it? I enjoyed the first third to maybe half. Here's the thing. It starts off so strong because, first of all, um, John Travolta, never a big fan. Um, But his younger roles like this, he's good. You know, he got, he, he stopped like, he stopped acting, but still kept getting roles after a certain point. I'm not really sure where that point is. It was kind of lambasted and like face off and it was very self-aware, but, but somewhere, I mean, it was funny because somewhere on along the line leading up to that, he kind of gave up, but, but he, but here he's a great actor and he was great in this movie. Um, and I'm not normally a big fan, you know, the, the, the initial part of the movie, like it was strongest to me when he, for example, was like doing his little investigations and he was, uh, you know, listening to the sound because the sound design in this film is immaculate. I mean, unbelievable what it can do with silence and, 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 but also like the little technical things of the, the equipment that he's using, the little clicks, the little slides, the, you know, the Chrome and, you know, just audio and visual. I mean, very, very, very good sound design. Um, and it adds so much to the film when, when that's such a big part of the script. And, you know, the, the director just does some really interesting things uh, here and there. One of the things I noticed, too, was that the one of the tropes that I'm kind of sick of is this the, the TV montage, like setting up a huge exposition dump to set up the, the context of the world that the character's are living in by doing a television montage in the beginning. There are movies where I enjoy it, and this was one of them, but but it is one of those tropes that I identify every time I see it. But here, you know, he does that kind of split screen, split screen effect where there's that, but then there's also this really engaging and interesting stuff that the character's doing with his hands and with the equipment, and it really keeps you sort of staring at the screen first through something that otherwise would feel very uninventive and just by the books, by the numbers. Um, so he finds ways to take formulaic things like someone else's checklist and then makes it interesting sound design was incredible and it was creepy like it was it was interesting and fascinating and engrossing but also kind of creepy because it was so atmospheric and and where that atmosphere was going to take you depended on where the script was going to go now unfortunately the script got bleh i just could not engage with the political thriller aspect of this film and the script i it was so generic and sterile to me um, John Lithgow's character was ridiculous, ridiculous. Like th- this is, I'm like, no one is this person. No, he, he wants to kill one woman that is not even in the news for being connected to this one guy. Right. So he wants to kill this one woman, this, this effectively who is a nobody and to cover it up, he goes on a, he invents a serial killer persona and starts murdering hookers for like, was it weeks or days? 
he kills one like every other night so that when he gets to her that she's just drowned out in the noise is another one of those victims i'm like this is a little over the top the the chances that he's going to be caught doing this the goes up exponentially the more he escalates and this is supposed to be like this uber professional hitman i love john lithgow but this character was fucking absurd um and it's every time he did something i'm like i can't i can't with this movie this is just to reincorporate like earlier in this episode that this is like this is like john woo never reloading his guns like it's just kind of mm, i can only handle so much of this you know i i felt no attachment or investment in the actual like conspiracy thing i just didn't think it was that interesting i didn't think it was that well delivered i didn't really care what happened there's some great scenes you know but but mostly it meanders um what's what's her name the uh the female lead in this was uh do, do you want the character name or the actress name uh that doesn't matter we, we know I'm talking sally about. sally's the character yeah yeah sally did not care about sally at all just have no attachment to her character basically i don't know it's it's like the first 40 minutes is so incredibly strong and so much because of the, the audio design and the way that it's handled and some great editing choices, some really interesting camera work um, and, and, and a great performance from Travolta. But after that, I mean, once it get once, once the story kind of gets on the road and starts moving down towards the conclusion, I just got less and less invested. I, I think technic it's like a technically great film, I, I don't really want to rewatch it, but I do kind of want to rewatch certain parts. There's certain parts of this that I want to rewatch and show other people and say, like, look at this. Isn't this great? But to sit down and watch the whole thing, I'm probably not going to do that anytime soon. I did buy it on Criterion. Um, like it's, it's like a very impressive movie. My rating, I, my four star rating was was kind of like I was kind of like saying, like, this is this is objectively like a really, really good film. But I only connected with so much of it. Okay. Interesting. Um, so I, I mean, we both gave it the same rating, um, but I think I probably liked it a lot more than you by the sounds of it. And like, I mean, and I probably could have given this more than four stars, just like with Heat, I probably could have given it more than four stars, probably undervaluing both of these films. But I mean, look, to me, you know, John Travolta, I've not seen that many films he's in. They're mostly not worth it. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, of the ones I've, of a few films I've seen, this is certainly the best. This might be the best John Travolta film, in my opinion. Yeah, I might agree with you on that. I have to, I have to think about that one a little bit. Yeah, so I've only seen a few, but I would wager that this is one of his best performances. I would say, um, which, which, like you, I, I sort of have the same opinion of, and I think we probably discussed something similar to this with Pulp Fiction, where you know I don't really, you know, consider him. A, I haven't seen enough of his filmography to really say this, but I don't really consider him like a great actor. And I, I like you. I'm not sort of the biggest fan of him, um, but here can't fault him. This actress who played Sally Nancy Allen, I just thought she was annoying, uh, personally. Yeah, she was kind of she was kind of annoying. Yeah, I'm with you on that. John Lithgow, stupid character. No, I'm I mean, I <laughs> I, I actually liked his character. The acting was a bit like wooden for me. It was a bit like I'm this like mechanical like. Because I, I think he th- I think he thought it was a dumb fucking character too. Honestly, that's my theory. I'm gonna look at. There might be someone that on IMDb. Like I have to look. Like <laughs> yeah, like the character I thought was interesting. I just felt like he was a bit like, it, it. It was like it was written as if, or not written. It was acted as if, and written as if like, this was like the epitome of like you know a political fixer, 
you know, and he would do anything and he's this guy capable of anything and he'll even kill for you. I mean, I know that the candidate who was who I didn't actually want to do any of this, but he's like, I'm bad fish and I'm going to kill. And I'm like, oh, it's a bit silly. But the character I actually liked. I thought the character was, was interesting as this, you know, guy who would sort of go to any, you know, means possible to get the job done, even if it's, even if it's not the job his employer actually wanted him to get done, he'll still do it. He'll assassinate. He'll go around killing all these women. He'll, you know. I feel like, I guess I feel like they wanted to have that kind of character, like the cold-blooded political fixer, as you said. I feel like they wrote that character in, but didn't really, I felt like they were inexperienced in knowing what to do with that character. You know what I mean? Like they, the way they applied it was very poor and it made the character just outrageous to me. In terms of a storyline, I actually thought it was really interesting, and it's another thought has just come to me. I'm sort of comparing films to different films today. This is sort of what I wanted all the person's men to be, of like this conspiracy and this, you know, this one. I mean, obviously in well, I guess there's two people here. Yeah, I, I guess it's, you know, in all the person's men, it's obviously two people here. It's sort of two people, but it's mostly Terry doing the heavy lifting. Sally doesn't really come into it <laughs> she just bumbles about causing issues but you know i i love that angle of it of like there's this one person trying to prove this truth uh which no one else believes or, or wants to believe or you know i i i just love that angle of investigating this powerful conspiracy yeah if the whole movie were just john travolta solving crimes with his audio equipment i'm in a 10 star film when you look at it it's not a big you know, I mean, I can't think off the top of my head, but I'm, I'm sure there's some films I've seen where, where you know, there's a conspiracy, a government conspiracy saying that some big... And it's like, it's like reaching it like tendrils and everything. I think it needed to be that big for this movie to work better for me, actually. Well, well yeah, whereas here, it's like, it's, it's you know, fully believable in a sense to me of like, you know, you've got this guy, he was, well, he wasn't, I was going to say he was cheating on his wife, but he wasn't even doing that. It was a setup. And, and these people were sort of, you know, go to whatever lengths to be like, no, we can't let her come out. We can't tell his family. Actually, on that point, I have a question for you. Would you have liked the story better or found the actions of Burke and such more believable if Sally had spoken out more? Because, for instance, like, I, I, because when he said, "Oh, he's he's going to all this effort with someone who's not even known, you know, not even in the news, etc." Do you feel like if she was in the news and she was going around saying, you know, telling the truth, would you have enjoyed the story more? Like, would Burke's action? I mean, I, I know you, you probably still would think her over top, but do do you would would you thought her more believable if she was going out speaking about it? It's hard for me to say. Actually, I'm having a hard time picturing like where, how the story would change like if she was going around speaking out about you know saying she never really did right? she was always you know anxious to me oh i don't want to get involved i don't want to say you know i don't want to you know she, she never really wanted she came around in the end but she never really wanted to sort of be a part of it or say what she was actually doing etc i feel like if she did then I could have totally. I mean, and even in this instance, I guess when 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 you said it the way you did, and like you said, they went to all this effort for someone who wasn't even in the news, wasn't even known, etc. Then you kind of start to think, okay, yeah, yeah, it, it, it was overkill. But I I feel like no matter how you paint it, John Lithgow's character is still just absolutely ridiculous. Um, that plan is still absolutely ridiculous. Like no matter how you paint it, you know. Yeah, I mean, I guess I was thinking if she did 
go around speaking out about it, I could totally believe that they would go to all this effort to get rid of her. I, I think if aliens kidnapped her in the middle of the movie, uh, John Lithgow would still be the most ridiculous part of it. You know I mean, <laughs> I just, I don't know. I just wasn't interested in the political thriller aspect overall. Um, it didn't grab me. It was, it didn't, it just felt so generic, like every other political thriller where it did nothing special, basically, except have John Lithgow be absolutely fucking ridiculous. I can't, cause I, because I cannot stress that enough. I, the whole time, every time he was on screen, I'm like, let's, let's see what Bozo does this time. <laughs> um, man, I feel like I've seen way more ridiculous characters than him, but maybe I just sure. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about how ridiculous he is. And he's, he is fucking ridiculous. I know. I liked him. I, I thought he was, you know, cool in a, you know, uh, twisted sort of way. I did. I did enjoy watching his stupid surprised face when he gets knifed with his own <laughs> knife. I enjoyed that, but only because I thought it was such a, and I love John Lithgow. But that character was so stupid. Sort of off the back of what you said about Tangerine about how it feels like voyeuristic and stuff. I think this is obviously the same, um, you know, because because in a sense, he's, the whole reason he, he, you know, recorded this was because he was recording natural sounds. And, and even in that scene, he, he sort of puts it, you know, he sort of turns a mic thing on to this couple in the distance and he's listening to their conversation about... It, it made me kind of want to, it made me kind of want to get that kind of equipment, go out and just spy on the world around me i don't know if that sounds creepy but it's like it's like people it's like people watching it sounds it looked cool yeah it looked like an interesting hobby yeah actually like just like people watching is but but people listening is also kind of you know i should have worked in government surveillance i guess yeah should have been an fbi (laughs) it's not too late (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so you know that that aspect of it is you know there's this voyeuristic aspect and and it's sort of i think that was reflected too in like you know some of the camera shots like there was a few times where the camera sort of zoomed in or out of of um jack you know, john travolta um you know in his in his window and different things like that yeah and i actually think it was done better in this film than tangerine too like i'll even give it that themes of a film is you know sort of you know conspiracy and paranoia and etc and i felt like that's well, it's not obviously it's not conspiracy or paranoia because it's true, but you know that's sort of a way it's represented. Hey, every once in a while, conspiracies are correct. Yeah, well, exactly, and and every I felt that was sort of right. in return of a film, like it was you know there was this sort of on edge thing all the time, and 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 you're wondering, oh, what's going to happen, and who's you know who's this Burke, and what's he doing? So I felt like the the way I guess um, people thought of Jack was sort of reflected in the tone of the film, if that makes sense. Yeah, okay, I guess so. That the final scene, I mean, not the final, final scene where he's listening to the scream and, oh, that's such a good scream, but the scene immediately before that where where Sally dies, um, that whole scene was probably my favourite in the whole film. With the fireworks and shit? Right, well, yeah, yeah. that was especially. Good, was but, but even before that where he's he sees her up on the top of a thing and it's sort of slow motion and he's running towards him. There's like these lights... And it's just that, that scene, and then it transitioned into this, you know, like I said, the fireworks going off, and it's just like 360 panning shot, and there's the music. I mean, it was really melodramatic, but it did work for what it was, I agree. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I didn't think it was... Like, ridiculously melodramatic? No, like, comically melodramatic? Like, no? No, I was just like, <laughs> wow, this is... I was like, I saw that scene, and I'm like, that is a standout scene of a film. Like, that is... 
top it's, it's a beautiful um, shot but it's yes bleh, buttery like it's see, melodramatic see, it's basically it's so <laughs> melodramatic it's buttery so you know, you know it's funny is usually you know my two complaints are oh, with heat right i said you know oh this the firefight scene was over the top and i said i've probably said about other films oh you know this um you know this character was uh you know was was ridiculous but it's funny in this film I I can I see what you're saying and I agree with him in a sense, but but at the same time I, I'm like I look at Burke and I'm like yeah I can accept him as a character. I look at the fireworks and yeah that was a good scene. You know like it's, it's I'm sort of going against my own logic here. Um, no, it's like, I guess we did kind of swap a little bit on that one. Maybe maybe we're just prone to having things bother us in certain ways and the other one isn't. So, but I I'm just I stand by everything I said before and, and I do agree there's some really over the top shit and heat. It's I mean, well, I didn't but I went interestingly the only thing I thought was over the top was that scene. Everything else I was like, yeah, I can buy. Right, but 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 I I enjoyed it more in heat because the rest of the film was so outstanding that it kind of propped that stuff up for me and No, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All that, you know, but ooh, blowout. It's it's a really 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 objectively great film with some stuff that I did not like. Um, that was was very distracting and unfortunately took up quite quite a bit of the movie. Um, but for that for that first forty minutes, I was in heaven. I mean, they could. I actually kind of wanted to see. I kind of wanted to see a supernatural movie like like spinoff of that, like where he hears some weird ghost shit in the audio. That would have been cool, man. That would have been cool. Um, and I'm not a ghost person. I'm not a fan of like ghost movies, but it just, it was so well done. And I, th- I feel like it would fit really well. If someone really competent, take over the movie, took over the movie. So I, I know I didn't give it five stars. So it's not, I don't think it's a perfect film, but I can't really find anything to fault. I mean, I, I didn't have anything in my notes, like any negatives. I mean, it just, it, it, it never reached that, you know, five star perfect thing. But it was like, you know, watch it. Great film. Um, you know, would I watch it again? Probably, you know, I mean, no, not like, I mean, I, I don't tend to rewatch things, you know, right after I watch them, I would, you know, I tend to like to forget about things for a while and then, oh, what happened in that film again? I'll watch it again. Um, so look, I'd probably watch it. Um, so yeah, I just thought, you know, great film, great thriller, John Travolta, top notch and uh good, good pick George. Yeah, it was a good pick. Not my favorite one that he's picked. Um, but it was, it was, a, it was a very, very good movie. Well, I think that wraps up episode 33. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love it if you could give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and we'll see you next week.